Thank you. And if you would like to follow the passage in your church Bibles, you will find it on page 967. 967, and it's from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, and we're reading as that said from verses 1 to 11. So 967. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Roger. Well, if you're a visitor here um, this morning, we've been uh, studying Ephesians 6, and specifically we've been looking at the, the armour of God. And today we come um, to the, the second half of verse 17, and the command there um, to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, strictly speaking, the, the sword um, wasn't a piece of armour, it was a weapon. It is a weapon. Uh, And Paul uh, actually talks here about weapons, because there are actually two um, weapons, and it's not always uh, uh, obvious to us. Uh, The first weapon is the Word of God, and the second weapon is is prayer. Bible and prayer. Um, And we'll be looking at the the second of these in uh, a couple of weeks after the all-age service next week. So Bible and prayer, essential priorities of of any church. And that's why you see in Acts 6, um, as the early church was establishing, as it was growing, the apostles turned their attention to the priorities, it says, of prayer and the ministry of the word. And that's why at St. John's we put so much attention on the teaching of the Bible um, in our small groups, in our children and youth work, 
all the way through our church. And we put so much attention on prayer. Um, And so uh, a plug for tomorrow's prayer meeting. Perhaps you've not been before and you'd like to come along and pray. It's an hour long, 8 o'clock tomorrow here in church. It would be great to, to see you there. Talking about prayer, let's take an opportunity to pray, shall we? God, our Father, we thank you um, for the armour. And we pray now as we look at the sword of the Spirit, you will help us that your Spirit would indeed teach us. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) There were two types of um, swords used by Roman soldiers. One was a a large, um, broad sword swung with both hands and, in a sense, to kind of hack the enemy. Um, The other, uh, which is mentioned here, um, was a a shorter sword, only really about a foot or 18 inches long. It's a two-edged sword, double-edged, and it was used to cut and to thrust in close um, combat. And Paul identifies this sword here um, uh, as coming from the Holy Spirit. And then he adds, after that, it is the word of God. It actually reminded me of, uh, of what it says in Hebrews 4, um, verse 12. We can uh, look at it later and I'll read it to you because I think it's really helpful because it fleshes it out a little bit more. It says there, the writer, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so we should be convinced that, that the Word of God um, does the work of God through the Spirit of God through, in the people of God. This book that we're looking at, that we study, is alive and it's active. Um, we don't so much examine it, it examines us. It uncovers us, it exposes us, it reveals who we are and who we need. Now, of course, having said all that, um, we have to acknowledge that the world in which we live in doesn't acknowledge, acknowledge the Bible. Um, many disagree. And maybe you're here, maybe you're a visitor, and you maybe disagree or you doubt um, its power. Some see it as a, a relic or a, a, an antique, something that's outdated or or outmoded uh, as irrelevant. Um, I came across an article just last year in um, GQ. Um, not that I particularly read GQ, um, but uh, Gentleman's Quarterly, is it? I think that's what it stands for. Um, and it had a, an article in it under the title, 21 Books You Don't Have to Read Before You Die. Um, they're always looking for titles like that, aren't they? So, it listed books like Mark Twain, um, Ernest Hemingway and Tolkien, all these kind of great authors. And of course, there it was, book number 12 in the list of 21, the Bible. Um, the columnist wrote, of the greatest selling book in the world, he wrote this. The Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actually in actuality, have not read it. Those who have read it know there are some good parts, but overall, it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It is repetitive, self-contradictory, 
sensuous, which I think means pompous, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. That's the state of things, isn't it? And um, you kind of read that and you think, well, has this guy ever really read it? Um, <coughs> contrast that with, with these words. And I wonder whether you can guess where these words um, are from. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you, and it goes on. Does anyone know where that's from? Any ideas? And if you, next time you're in a hotel room, you might find it in a Gideon's Bible. The Gideons. Such a contrast, isn't it? Um, and makes us think, well, why such a different, why such a different approach? It was Martin Luther, um, the reformer, who said this, which I think is enormously helpful. He said, nobody who has not the Spirit of God sees a jot of what is in Scripture. All people have their hearts darkened so that even when they can discuss and quote all that is in Scripture, they do not understand. The Spirit is needed for the understanding of all Scripture. That's why Paul uh, says it's the sword of the Spirit and why we pray that the Holy Spirit is our teacher here this morning. That's why we prayed that at the, the beginning. Because without him, without the Holy Spirit, we will be left just like that GQ, GQ? Yes, writer. With that thought, let's um, think about two things. The first one I want to think about is the sword of the Spirit. How essential it is in coming to faith. How essential it is to coming to faith. We cannot find God, you see, without revelation. God has disclosed himself. He has spoken to us. He's spoken to us through his prophets in the Old Testament and his apostles in the New Testament. And they're testifying to Jesus Christ, who is the word. If, you know, if, if you think about it, if two people were just uh, to sit in a room and they didn't speak to each other, they cannot really know each other, can they? It stands to reason. They might get some inference um, uh, from each other by the way that they look or the way that they dress. Um, but it's not until they speak to one another that their ma- and when their mouths are open that they can be known to each other. And it's the same with God and with, with us. And therefore the sword of spirit, the word of God, becomes absolutely critical um, to people coming to faith. Oh yes, of course, our creation and our experiences can tell us something about God. But they are insufficient. The writer of Ecclesiastes said that God has written eternity in our hearts. He's written eternity in our hearts. That's why we have that that aching and that longing for something more, that, that sense of, of the fact that there's something missing. 
In all of us, it's there. But we can't, by our own searching and our own endeavors, find it. Um, it's striking how that I find this comes up so much in, in our modern songs. And um, uh, I caught some of the Oscars, uh, was it last week or the week before? And um, I saw uh, the performance of Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Um, Lady Gaga, I'd love to meet Lord Gaga as well. I don't, <laughs> I don't know where you get that name from, but anyway... Um, <laughs> Is probably made up. But anyway, Lady Gaga and um, Bradley Cooper sing a, a, sang a song on, on the Oscars called Shallow, and which pe- picked up this exact kind of aching and longing. It went, it went like this, but don't worry, I won't sing it. Uh, it. It went, tell me something, girl, are you happy in this modern world? Or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? I'm falling. In all the good times, I find myself longing for change. And in the bad times, I fear myself. And it goes on. Tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? You see, we all know, even if we don't admit it, in our hearts, there is more. But nothing in this world can fill the void. Nothing in this world can ever fill the void. Nothing in this world can bring us into a saving relationship with God, the God who made us and the God who knows us and loves us more than we'll ever know. For that to happen, it requires the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. It requires a supernatural work of God. Himself In God, this meaning and change are found. In him we find good news. In him we find that we can't save ourselves. We can't, um, uh, by our good works or by our religion or by our CV, the good news is that God has sent Jesus to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. He sent Jesus into this world to die for us, to save us from our sins. God has chosen, in his sovereignty, he's chosen to take that story of the gospel of the good news and to preserve it in a book. I love the Jesus Story Bible. I don't know if you've, if you've got children or grandchildren. It, it's a beautiful book. And, and the, the, the recurrent theme is um, that it's a story about the record of God's unbreakable, never-ending, giving, never giving up, always and forever love. That's the thing that keeps running through it. The God we've turned our backs on, you see, the God who we rebelled against has come to us and spoken and he's given us his son, Jesus Christ. And the word of God tells us about that. The sword of the Spirit is absolutely foundational to our outreach, to coming to faith, to finding God, to be filled to fill that void, to be changed that that Lady Gaga and and others sing about all the time. This book is alive and active. It breathes. It's a surgeon's knife. It cuts. 
Beneath our hard exterior that we put on so often, it reveals, it exposes, it shows us who we really are, and of course it shows us who we really need. And only when we hear God speak will we be persuaded. God has to speak, and he has spoken. And when that happens, the Spirit melts our hearts. And we come before God and we confess and and we accept him into our hearts. The sword is absolutely essential to coming to faith. But moving on, it's also essential to help us to continue in the faith. We don't just leave it behind once we've become Christians. The sword is essential to maintaining our faith and our relationship. And um, we've got two, I've got two um, examples of this from Scripture. Um, the second one I'll come to in a minute, which is the one that we had read to us. But the first is, is um, uh, from Acts 23. You might like to, to turn that up in front of you. Acts um, chapter 23. Just to give you a bit of um, background on this. This is, uh, this is where scripture can help you continue in the faith because it helps you turn, it turns you away from your anger. Scripture can turn you away from your anger. Um, Acts 23, Paul is brought there in front of the Sanhedrin. He's in court and during the trial, the high priest orders those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. And it says in verse 2, and so they hit him. So this is, now this is a brilliant example, I think, of how scripture helps us to respond. You see, Paul then turns to the high priest and he just lashes out and he says, God will strike you down, you whitewashed wall. Paul there is very human. He's very uh, reactionary. Um, he's just been hit in the mouth, hasn't he? I mean, in all likelihood, most of us would react in that way. A sort of angry response. You whitewashed wall. It's kind of the equivalent of saying, you idiot. And so those near Paul say, in verse 4, you can see it, you dare to insult God's high priest. And Paul turns and says calmly at that point, verse 5, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written. It's scripture. Sword of the Spirit. Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. At Exodus 22, 28. Paul is at that point, at that very point, the most pressured, most anxious, he's most fearful. He could explode into a rage um, of emotions as they get the better of him, which would probably, of course, lose him the trial. Now, do you think the statement, don't you know that the high, don't you know that this is the high priest, uh, would have turned Paul's anger away? Do you really think that? Do you think unless Paul had known the scriptures so well that he was able to apply it on the spot, that that statement would have turned his anger away? Do you think anything other than scripture would have been able to have done it? The sword of the spirit. I mean, would talking to himself have prevented him uh, losing his temper? I don't know your experience of trying to talk to yourself out of something. It does seems to often have the opposite effect. It winds you up and then you like a spring and then you cut in with your anger. 
But Paul uses the sword of the Spirit and it sends his anger away, doesn't it? And then he has this opportunity to share the gospel. He was able to do that because he had the word of God at his fingertips. And, you know, have you got fears? Have you got angers? Have you in your heart? The only way to, to rid them is a phrase from Scripture, an idea from Scripture, a truth, a promise. We're not talking about necessarily an encyclopedic knowledge of the Scriptures. None of us have that. As if it was to quote verse perfectly. No. We're to know the power, though, of the truth that is in this book and apply it to our situations that we find ourselves in. So that's the first example. The second example is the one that we had, um, uh, we had read for us. The scripture can also, of course, deal with our temptations. <coughs> Let's look at this second illustration of the sword of the Spirit. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And um, we read there, don't we, that the devil comes to Jesus three times. Three times he attacks him with three very specific direct temptations. Number number one is, is don't, you know, basically don't trust God. Make these stones into bread. Don't trust God to provide for your needs. It's a specific. And Jesus comes back and he quotes scriptures and he specifically and uh, directly um, relating to Deuteronomy. The devil comes a second time and says, I'm going to tempt you now to trust, to trust God where you have no business in, trust, in trusting God, in, to, in a sense of dive off this temple and let him catch you. And he uses another scripture from Deuteronomy in verse 7, exactly dealing with that temptation. And again, a third time... Um, Satan comes and says, bow down to me. And he uses another scripture exactly dealing with that tension. Now, I want you to notice, the thing I want you to notice is just how precise, how precise Jesus uses the sword of the Spirit. Did you notice that in verses 4, 7, and 10? How specific it is. Now, remember the sword Paul was talking about was the short sword. It wasn't the kind of big... I'm going to do my samurai impression. <laughs> it's a big slashing sword that's very indiscriminate. This short sword, it's only about that long, is very precise. It deals at close hand-to-hand combat. These types of sword had to be used in a very precise way to be effective. It was a precise weapon. And we see the precise nature, therefore, here demonstrated to us as Jesus uses the sword of the Spirit. It doesn't flail around indiscriminately. He uses it precisely to deal with exactly the temptation that the devil shot at him. And we have to be able to deal with whatever angle or temptation that the evil one comes from. Now, I know we're not, none of us are Jesus. None of us have got that. <laughs> we know that. The devil, the devil, you see, always seems to find out where you have a lack of information, doesn't he? He comes into those places where your weak points, as it were, uh, and he starts hitting you from those angles. 
And I, I've heard so many times people will say, oh, well, I didn't really know that about the Bible. I, I never considered that truth about the Bible. I didn't know that promise existed. If, if I had known all those promises and those things, I would never have done that or this or been in this situation. And we get ourselves into situations that we would not have got into had we have known the truth of God's word. Use the Bible to defend against attack. The attack and the lies of the devil. Learn how to apply the word of God to precise temptations, just as Jesus did. Now, of course, that requires time. It requires training. It's something that happens overnight. It, it's hard work. It means being part of small groups. It's about, about reading it daily. It's about getting to know the Bible and the Word of God. Yes, it takes time. But it will mean that we're able to stand the test and the trials. So, to conclude, the sword is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and it's absolutely essential for coming to faith. Now, you might be here and you're not a believer and you don't have faith. We have lots of uh, Gospels, which is just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We'd love to put one of those in your hands and take away. Please do come and ask for one afterwards, because it's the Word of God. It's the, Spirit, or it's the sword of the Spirit. So come and get one from me or from Will. Um, we'd love to give you one. And secondly, the sword of the Spirit is essential for us to continuing in the faith, especially as we deal with the devil's lies. So let's go out, wherever you are tomorrow, into the week with that sword. Let's take a moment to pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you've given us a sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Father, forgive us for when we forget it, or we don't use it, or we don't know it, we don't have the information. We pray, Father, that you will um, remind us constantly to be in your Word, so we can stand the test and the trials. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>